What's up, Metal Maniacs? You've got Tom. You've got George. You've, You've got, got another, another podcast, podcast coming. coming. So, George, it's really good to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while. Even though episodes air weekly, we don't always get to record every week. So at the time you're hearing this, it's actually been kind of a while since the last time I saw Tom. And Tom, I am thrilled to just get back in here, have a nice classic episode with you and me chatting. Me too. And I think there is uh, one album in particular you really want to talk about this week. Yes, there is, actually. I really want to talk about Sin After Sin. So, Ooh, Sin After so, Sin's great. So, George, you know, one of the things that going into this podcast that I really was excited about was having the opportunity to explore uh, Priest <laughs> discography in greater detail because I had never heard Sin After Sin. And, oh, my God, what a treat it was to pop that baby into my stereo and go to town on it you never heard sin after sin before yeah you know at this point it's such an old album that i feel like a lot of people are sort of leaving it out when they explore priest and that's a shame because sin after sin it has so much good stuff on it It, that track list is kind of stacked there are a lot of great standout songs on that album see for my money Sin After Sin is the album where they first started transitioning into a metal band. And you can very clearly hear that in a lot of the songs. For my money, some of Priest's first metal songs are on this album. Dude, Dissident Aggressor was so ahead of its time. That song still sounds really heavy today. Like the fact that Slayer covered it and they didn't have to change that much about the song should tell you something. Dude, you told me that. And then we listened to that cover and that blew my mind. You know, like I've been running that through my head for weeks now that that song is just so fresh and heavy to this day. It's not dated it still sounds fantastic. Yeah, and it's not the only 10 out of 10 song on Sin After Sin. Like, it opens with Sinner, and that song's, like, probably in my top 15 or 20. That is a banger. Yeah, they come right out the gates with one of the best songs in their entire discography, in my opinion.
sin after sin is very sadly an overlooked album and i feel like we are gonna delve into why that we should delve into why that is and maybe see if we can change some people's minds yeah i think so too what song should we start with starbreaker hell yeah It's a great starting point for talking about Sin After Sin. This is our first episode about Sin After Sin. So I think we owe it to ourselves and our fans to cover one of the standout tracks. Yeah, yeah. I would say that this is one of the standout tracks. It was on Unleashed in the East. Sounded really good on that album. Mm. And we all know Unleashed in the East is one of the classic heavy metal live albums although it wasn't on the original i don't think i think that's a bonus track on the re-release really so in the original release of sin they didn't have starbreaker i'm talking about uh the unleashed in the east version oh i see yeah okay unleashed in the east that was weird because the original album only had nine songs and it was like a 15 16 17 song concert And the rest of those live versions, they trickled out as like B-sides to singles. Starbreaker was one of them. And in hindsight, you look back and you wonder, man, couldn't they have just released the whole thing? I Yeah, that's kind of, um, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like back in the day. So let me ask you a question. When was Unleashed in the East? um, When was that released? Yeah, Unleashed in the East came out in 1979 Mm. but the show that it was recorded from 1979 in the japan tour very early in the year and they were touring on hellbent for leather Mm. or killing machine if you're not a yankee like us (laughs) so my only thought could be that they had limited space on the vinyl print for songs that's probably what it was because I'm pretty sure it was a single vinyl, not a double. Yeah. And maybe they didn't want to jack the price up by releasing a double album. I mean, that's in my hypothesis. It could be wrong, but um, that's where that's the only thing that would make sense to me, because why would you cut out so much material? Right. And that version of Starbreaker is great, just Mm. like everything else on the album. But hey, I mean, when we eventually do an episode on Unleashed in the East as a whole, Mm. maybe we should talk about if it was a good idea for them to cut the songs that they did. Mm. Well, we're going to have to listen to maybe a few different versions of that album. I'm sure we can find them online in all the different track listings. Right. Um, You know, I can't imagine that you'd want to cut anything but who knows maybe as a as a a single piece of media maybe it is better when you cut some music i don't know yeah that's pretty interesting Mm. so 
transitioning back to Starbreaker. Mm. That uh, Starbreaker on Unleashed in the East is good. It's, it's faster. Les Binks plays an interesting disco-ish beat. I, I don't know what they were going for, but uh, it's cool, I guess. Simon Phillips plays on the original album and he is a boss on the drum kit. Oh, Les Binks isn't playing on um, Sin After Sin. Is Yeah, so Priest's history with drummers is complicated. It gets uh, a little muddy. Basically, what you need to know is that there were four different drummers on the first four Priest albums. Holy, wait, really? There were. So Les Binks was the fourth drummer. He joined on the fourth album, uh, Stained Class. <laughs> oh, not, I'm talking about just drummers who have played on an album. I'm not talking about like prehistoric priests playing in like bars in yeah. the early days, pre-Rockerola. I understand. You know, drummers who are credited on the albums. That's right. So Simon Phillips was the third drummer in as many albums and he was never a permanent part of the band. He was a session musician. And for those who don't know, that's basically a guy who you hire to play on your album. He wasn't like a band member. He's just like, hey, can you come in and come into the studio and record drum tracks? We'll pay you. That's what a session musician does. That's how they got Simon Phillips. And they found him, I think, through their producer. and. Honestly, it would have been cool if he wanted to stay in Priest longer because he has really insanely good technical skills. Like he's trained in jazz and stuff. And you can definitely hear that on Starbreaker. It has like a beat that sounds a little more like focused and a little bit ahead of the time of what you would expect out of rock in that day and age. Yeah, he has some insane fills on that album. The way that those songs played live today, they still hold up. They still sound fresh is a testament to what a talent that guy was. You know, I often wonder about what the band would have gone through had they stuck with someone like Simon Phillips or Les Binks, because I think Dave Holland definitely served a purpose um, and he was great for what they were doing at the time but he's nowhere near as dynamic of a drummer as Les Binks or Scott Travis is yeah and Simon Phillips if he stayed with Priest I think that they probably still would have made a lot of the same music because you know all the songs are written by Halford Tipton and Downing but they might have had Uh, another layer of technicality like Mm. just a little bit more complex drum beats and who knows maybe 
those songs would have been slightly better. But I guess that's that's why we have the Scott Travis live versions in this day and age. I will say one thing. Dave Holland's style actually it allows you to focus more on the guitars because the drums in, are kind of foreground almost when he plays. You really get to hone in on Downing and Tipton's beautiful harmonies and sick riffs. I've thought about that too, and that's a really good point. Hmm. Well, uh, back to Starbreaker then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does this song make you feel? What do you think about it? So I was actually going to ask you if you felt this way, but I feel like this song is kind of a proto painkiller in a way. Mm. And so what I mean by that is looking at its lyrical content, it kind of touches on that same um, savior narrative that painkiller draws from. I could see that. Now, Obviously, in a technical and musical sense, they're completely different songs, but I do feel like they follow sort of the same lyrical motifs, and they are showing off some amazing ability and songwriting prowess in this, in Starbreaker. Yeah, I think so too, and this is just a really fun song. It doesn't sound much like Painkiller. But in terms of the lyrical themes of saviorism, yeah, I could definitely see that. And Starbreaker is cool because I think the lyrics tell a really awesome story. So I <laughs> do me know, too. Let me know if you, well, what do you think is going on? What, so, let's hear what you think first. So allow me to read off a couple of verses here. Here's ones that stuck out to me. Paradise is waiting for the chosen few. Let's hope maybe this time he picks me and you. Star voyage to a new world, light year miles away. Cross your fingers. Here he is. Take us now this day. I don't know why specifically when he says, here he is, that just hits me so differently. Oh, yeah. Rob's vocal inflections, the way that he'll make certain lines or words higher. He just he knows how to do it. And it really (laughs) gives extra attention to it. And it's fun. It makes you remember the song and the words more. Yeah, he has that talent where he delivers a line so flawlessly that it sticks with you for what, for whatever reason that line stuck with me, but uh, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a savior narrative so much as it almost kind of reminds me of like heaven's gate, you know, those Mm -hmm. cultists who believe that, um, well, would they believe that like Haley's comet was actually a spaceship? Oh yeah. And And then, uh, some, someone, a savior is going to come back for them and he's going to, take them all to a new world but he's only going to take the people who believed uh simpsons did a good parody of that (laughs) of course they did (laughs) there was also an 
awesome testament song that came out on their most recent album about the heaven's gate you hear that album by the way no i creation actually yes i did listen to it earlier this year i was very impressed but i only gave it one listen it deserves more okay so they had a song about heaven's gate it was called children of the next level and that's something that cults do they have like these sort of pyramid scheme scams they're like oh if you donate more or you worship more you'll move up to the next level and you'll be more favored in our leader's eyes Mm. and this actually this tangent on testament i'm gonna tie it back to priest because that same album titans of creation has a song called dream deceiver (laughs) oh no shit the Uh even when I go off topic, I'm on topic, listeners. You always find a way to bring it around to what we're talking about. So wait, is that a cover or is it their own thing? It's their own song. Uh, it's called Dream Deceiver as oh. a tribute to Priest. And it's a, a dream deceiver in the more literal sense. While I'm here, I'll just plug it. Listeners, go check out Testament's Titans of Creation. That's a dope ass album. okay back to priest (laughs) wait one more thing before we go back because i'll never get the chance to talk about this again go so supposedly if you go on the heaven's gate website and you email them they respond to you well i don't (laughs) think i can endorse uh fucking with and trolling cultists no. But uh, do with as you will with that information. Do what thou wilt, but don't blame me, please. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. I don't think, yeah, I'm not sure that I saw uh, Heaven's Gate or cult thing going on in the lyrics. I think the story that's going on here is quite vague. That's probably by design so that we could make up our own story. But It's far more whimsical than yeah, yeah. a cult. Um, And that's kind of what I've always liked about Priest is that the songs are very vague for that reason. I think you said it perfectly. It's your interpretation. You know, there's a story being told, but there's not one story being told. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So here's what we do know. The Starbreaker as a character is kind of interesting And he's clearly some kind of badass because he's cruising into town and he's stealing every heart around. Women everywhere are dropping their panties for this Starbreaker dude (laughs) because he's from outer space. Okay, so Starbreaker is basically David Bowie. (laughs) David Bowie with even more sex appeal, if you can somehow imagine that. And if you're lucky... He'll take you with him yeah. because he takes you up so high on a star voyage to a new world. But don't miss your chance, guys, because he comes once in a lifetime. Yeah, and you know, you, there's no guarantee that you'll be one of the chosen few. So there's this, 
there's this theme going on of sort of um, esotericism. I'm not <laughs> sure if that's a word, but but it's, it's esoteric. Yes, it's esoteric in the sense that only the select chosen few get to have this amazing experience. So I was saying, you know, this kind of ties into the narrative about, well, the savior narrative in painkiller is obviously a lot more intense than this, but the Starbreaker is a lot more, well, the stakes aren't quite as high, but again, the theme is sort of the same. Yeah, man. Do these people that the Starbreaker is saving, do they live in some apocalyptic wasteland like in the year 2100 when we've completely destroyed the Earth? Maybe the Starbreaker is someone who can travel out of space and rescue people Mm. and take them to a habitable planet. (laughs) And that's why in the bridge, the lyrics are Starbreaker, take my hand, understand you're the one, lead us on. destroyed the earth the climate disaster has reached a boiling point <laughs> and they need the starbreaker to pick them up and take them to a new planet where they can breathe the air <laughs> we're definitely heading in that direction i feel like we could absolutely use a starbreaker right now to come and take us away yeah and everyone is cozying up to this guy because you know it says he's cruising into town. He's stealing every heart around. Like every single person wants to become Starbreaker's new best friend. He's clearly the most popular dude on planet Earth when he decides to show up, but once in a lifetime. There's an average temperature worldwide of 120 degrees Fahrenheit. California and Florida are underwater. And they just every single person they just want starbreaker to take them off this sinking ship <laughs> well Paradise everyone is waiting but only for the chosen few <laughs> well everybody wants to be this guy's best friend you know i kind of get the sense that people talk really highly of him and when he comes around it's like oh starbreaker what's good yo um i starbreaker think- get me off this planet <laughs> get me the fuck out of here please Dude, but, I feel like that right now. <laughs> this, like I said, the stakes aren't as high as painkiller because the painkiller is something to be feared. You get the sense the painkiller is coming to destroy evil and he's going to fuck your shit up. The Starbreaker is here to whisk you away to somewhere a little more palatable and less heavily polluted. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think the story we made up for the Starbreaker sounds pretty close to what's going on in the song. I like it. I listen like in my own personal headcanon, that's what's going on. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I actually, so before we had this conversation, I was almost thinking of the Starbreaker as like 
the guy who just rolls into town, but it's like a surf town. (laughs) It's like a surf town and he's just on the sidewalk and everyone's like passing by and, you know, panties are dropping. (laughs) That's what you think the song is going to be when it starts, because that's the first few lines. But then you find out that he's from another world and he goes to outer space and it's like, whoa, this is a little more to it than I thought. Oh, for sure. You know, in that typical grandiose priest fashion, yes. Halford elevates the song to a level that is a lot more fantastical. I think so, too. Really, there's not enough great things you can say about it. And when they play the song live, he nails the screams and he tries to add that same level of flair into the words. You know how he does when he's doing it live. Sometimes he'll emphasize a different word, which makes it fun to listen to these alternate versions because you're going to get something that he's actually singing it differently. And you might like that new way better. I absolutely adore the version of this song from the Epitaph tour. Yeah, that riff sounds pretty cool and detuning, doesn't it? It really does. And having both Richie and Scott on the lineup to bring their own flair to a song like this, it really freshens up the experience. And it just sounds so heavy. This is the star You know, I said previously that there was always a metal band in Priest, even on this album. And it was just begging to get out. And hearing that song live today, I feel fully vindicated in that statement. Everyone, Tom was right. (laughs) Won't hear me say that often. (laughs) No, I'm just... Yeah, you won't, you, I you just won't, like being a dick. You won't say it, but you'll but you'll know it in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's funny how you mentioned with Richie because I was going to bring up the note I had. So the first solo is KK Downing. The second solo is Glenn Tipton. Mm. And the third section, they harmonize. And the harmony is beautiful. She plays the solo a little differently than KK, but it's pretty cool nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, as far as replacement guitarists go, you don't get much better than Richie Faulkner. You know, that guy is priest. He's just, it's kind of like, it's weird. It's like, he's always been there, but he's only been here. What's it? 10 years. 
Yeah. Jeez. Mm. I think he was 29 when he joined and now he's oh. what, 41. Yeah. 41 years old, dude. Imagine that. So he was probably 29 or in his early thirties when he joined the band, man. Can you even imagine just being in KK Downing's shoes? Mm. You left the band because he didn't want to fade out and just become like a parody or cover act of himself because he thought that the performances were declining. And then it's like, as soon as he left priest got better and better. How does it happen? I can tell you why that happens is because it seems like his enthusiasm for the band was gone at that point. And then you bring in a young, extraordinarily skillful guitarist, and that breathes new life into the band. And they're feeding off of his energy, and he's got to be stoked as all hell to be there. So I can tell you from personal experience, when you bring on a really talented and enthusiastic person to replace another one, the the feeling and the energy of a live performance is just so much different. You've been in plenty of bands, Tom, so you would probably know that from experience, right? Yes, I would say so, because I have been that person breathing life into a band, and I have also experienced bringing people in. And so it's not surprising to me that when Richie came in, you know, all of a sudden, there's a certain electricity in their performances again. But what really fucks me up is how Downing is like spinning this narrative that he got done so dirty by that band. Like, dude, you wanted to leave. What do you want? Like you you left and then you want to come back immediately? Like, no, man, it doesn't work that way. Richie Faulkner is kind of like when someone has a long 20-year marriage, they call it quits, they get divorced, and they find happiness with their second wife (laughs) or husband. That is a fabulous analogy. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the the ex is coming around missing the other person because, oh, look at their glow up. (laughs) That's it, Tom. That's it. We figured it out, George. We solved the mystery. But yeah, I'll keep uh, I'll keep going on that subject of Richie and Scott breathing some new life into this song. Mm. And it was the first time Scott got to play it live because they dropped Starbreaker from the set list in 1980 and it didn't come back until the Epitaph tour. Mm. See, the cool thing about having a drummer like Scott is that you can play anything. He can play any of their songs. And so whatever you want to pull out, that's why I love that for their 50 heavy metal years tour, they're pulling out all the classics because they've got a lineup of people that can play anything. They can learn any of the songs and play them flawlessly. It's true. I mean, Richie is so good. He could play Glenn's leads or KK's leads. Mm -hmm. And maybe he was the one who wanted to put Starbreaker back into the set because that Epitaph tour that was Richie's debut, and he supposedly had some say in the set list, and he, they must have enjoyed playing it because, you guessed it, they weren't finished with the song, and they brought it back for the Firepower Tour. 
And you listeners know how much we love to talk about the Firepower Tour mm-hmm. because of the expansive set list. And you just think about the 44 different songs that they rotated. And if you're in a band, can you imagine knowing that many songs well enough to perform them at a good enough level that you can play in front of an audience of maybe over 10,000 people each night? It is an immense undertaking and a testament to the skill of each individual member. It's hard enough to remember seven or eight songs at a time, but to be so well prepared that you can play 44 different songs and play them pretty much flawlessly, there's almost a magic to that. Yeah, and it's not like they played 44 songs every night. Some of them only got a few shows, and then they swapped it out for something else. But even so, to be able to have that level of familiarity with your back catalog, like there are bands who go out and play the same set list every single night for years. Yeah, I was watching a video where Dave Davidson from Revocation is watching people do playthroughs of his songs and he's straight up says "Eh, good i can i i forgot how to play this song so i can reference this if i ever need to relearn it (laughs) people straight up forget how to play their songs it's i mean it sounds like sort of it sounds like a silly thing but when you've written well over a hundred songs in your career it's it's real hard to remember Going back to Starbreaker, I'm just really happy that this song is getting its time in the light again. We mentioned earlier in the episode that Sin After Sin is kind of an overlooked album, undeservedly so. You know, say what you will about Rockarola, like, you know, who fucking cares? But Sin After Sin is amazing dude like i don't know what else to say about it and starbreaker is another in a long list of incredible priest songs that deserve people's attention yeah absolutely and starbreaker is a song that it was a popular tune in the early days of priest and they would play it every night on their tours around that time but i guess It just didn't keep up in popularity into the new millennium. And to be fair, it's hard because the average listener, the casual listener, the kind of fan who isn't going to listen to every single song and every single album, there's only a limited number of individual songs that they're going to want to take in. And it's like, okay, Maybe the average person knows four or five priest songs, and maybe those are the four or five most popular ones. And sometimes I feel like if they never wrote Living After Midnight, would one of these other tunes just rise up to become their fourth most popular song out of like the sort of middle popularity songs? I mean, yeah, something would have taken its place, I'm sure. Right. And that's sort of like 
kind of where I'm going with Starbreaker and the fact that this was such a popular tune in their early days. And what if Priest, let's say, what if they called it quits in 1981? And then the people who remembered them would be reflecting back and saying, oh, yeah, wasn't Starbreaker one of the best Priest songs? Oh, yeah, that was their hit. I remember Starbreaker. When I saw them, they played that and the crowd went absolutely wild. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, even though Priest might have 40 songs that are amazing, the average listener cannot like get the attention or the focus going to get to know 40 different songs. That's And that's not to say that Starbreaker is any less good because it didn't become one of the biggest hits. I will say, though, that for a casual listener, especially if you're at a concert and you're not familiar with the songs, like maybe it kind of it it can be hard to focus on. You almost zone out after a while. I mean, I've seen some bands play live where they're just playing songs and I'm just sitting there like trying to focus, feeling a little miserable. Not sure. Mind is elsewhere. Exactly. Now. I don't think for a second that Starbreaker falls into the category of mind-numbing songs, (laughs) but for the average fan, it's like, yeah, I know you want to hear Living After Midnight and Breaking the Law. Like, yeah, I I know. I know. I want to hear those too. So do I, but I also would love to hear Dissident Aggressor, you know? Fuck yeah. Any Uh, day of the week. uh, That song is so good, man. In my mind, in my mind, one of their first actual metal songs, but we will talk about that in another episode. Yeah, because I think Starbreaker is definitely a worthy song for us to recommend. Mm. And sometimes we talk about how we like to target our show to casual priest fans because we want to turn them on to some songs that they might not have heard. And so far, we've been trying to get a little bit of every album. And we're going to continue doing that into January and February to see if we can get something, at least one song from each album early into our run. And I think you made a great choice by going after Starbreaker from Sin After Sin, because this song, I think, is very approachable to people who haven't heard it. Like, it's got a nice poppy chorus and a beat that is... You know, it's a technically sound and good drum beat, but it's not so complex that an average person can't latch onto it. And it, it's pretty easy to learn if you're trying to sing along to it. glides in from the sky uh we just lost a few listeners my <laughs> singing. oh stop it <laughs> uh, yeah. what it, you know what is funny though is hearing um clapping on a priest song no i'm yeah, not i think that's pretty cool i mean i don't think they've done the claps on any other song and that's not, sort not of that like, i know of yeah so I, star it, breaker 
Yeah, exactly. And it's cool because sometimes in other rock songs, you do hear that, how they just sort of try and add that little extra bit of energy in the last part of the song. They don't do the claps on the epitaph version. Uh, Scott Travis, instead, he switches it out for a double bass drawing, which is cool in its own way. That dude is the undisputed master of the double bass, as far as I'm concerned. And the way he incorporates, you know, the what I really like about his style in particular is the way that he incorporates his drumming, you know, to be more reflective of the track itself. Um, and I didn't get to talk about this on our Metal Gods episode, but he actually, when he, they play that song live, he mimics the marching sound by hitting um, a crash cymbal on his drum set. It's a crash or a china. I don't remember which, but he does that to simulate the marching sound on the recorded track. I think that is fabulous. That is so cool. I don't think I even caught on to that. So I appreciate you picking up on it. Man, listen, go back and take a listen to it, man. And it, it, like, it, you'll, you'll hear it. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to point that out for you. It's those little details that really, um, that really impressed me as a listener. Yeah. Sometimes you catch the little details. Sometimes I do. Between the two of us. We probably catch a fair amount, although this is for our listeners. If there's something you know that we didn't pick up on, get us on Twitter and tell us that we're just a bunch of idiots and we don't really know our shit about priests. <laughs> I'm no, waiting. I'm kidding. Just uh, tell us the cool fun facts and yeah. we'll credit you. Yeah, please. We'll we'll give you a shout out in an episode. Um but please don't um, come and harass us or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you fucking posers? Like, oh man, now someone's definitely going to come do that just because I know. you said it. Why did I invite that vitriolic response? <laughs> so, what do we have for fun facts? So, Priest officially released a live version of Starbreaker that they recorded on. Uh, May 9th, 1978 on the Stained Class Tour. Mm. It's And that's from the Agora Theater in Cleveland, Ohio. That's a storied metal venue. It's still <laughs> there. It's still open. Oh, I was unaware. So the recording of Starbreaker from that show, it was a B-side to Before the Dawn, the single. So this is pretty rare, but it's one of the earlier documentations of Judas Priest performing live. And you can find that on YouTube. There's also a sick version on the box set that Priest released on the special unreleased live bonus material uh, from July 1978 in Tokyo. <laughs> it's so cool that they even have those recordings. You know, you want to talk about having a mind for um, posterity. 
these guys are on top of it. Yeah. And, you know, especially later into the 80s and 90s, when metal bands started becoming more famous, they had the budget to record a lot of different shows. But Priest barely had a dollar to their name in the 70s. So we're lucky to get any live footage at all. So, I mean, I wish there was more. We all do. But the fact that some of it exists is awesome. Isn't it cool to have that time capsule to be able to go back and hear the band from, you know, five decades ago and see just how they were doing things back then? Yeah. And I think that if you're a really huge fan, it can be a rewarding experience to listen to live material from each tour because you get to hear how the band evolves over time. I think we brought that up on our Uncle Steve episode about mm. the 91 live concert. Yeah. Uh, again, it's just really cool to be able to track that history. You know, the way they play songs now is not the same as the way they played it in the 90s, is not the same as they played it in the 80s, so on and so forth. Every generation of Priest fan gets to experience the band as they exist in that little period of time. You're right. Now, me personally, what I would absolutely love is for them to play their older material in the original standard tuning, because I think a lot of their songs sound just so phenomenal like that. Um, that's something that I'd like to see personally, but not sure that's going to happen. And if not, I'm still not going to complain, man. You know, we're about to see these guys in March, right? Yep. We've got that 50 heavy metal years tour rescheduled finally. And at this point, I think it's safe to assume that Richie is going to be back to health because I don't think they would have rescheduled without having that sort of assurance from him that he would be ready to go. Yeah, man. I'm really glad that he is making a full recovery and, you know, an aortic aneurysm. It's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that kills a good number of people like within the first sort of hour that it happens. And it's, it's a miracle that Richie made it to the hospital. And not only that, but he's going to be well enough to go back out on tour. And it's really, I couldn't be more grateful because you never know, like if he waited a few more minutes to go to the hospital, it could have been over. Mm. In the fact that he was able to not only make it to the hospital in time to get that life-saving surgery that he needed, he also played painkiller flawlessly through to the while end. dying while dying on stage, man. Like what a fucking boss. You know, it's um it's kind of a weird thing. Um, I was talking to my fiance today about it one of her clients, their husband just died recently. Oh, no. and, yeah. And she was just saying, we were saying to each other, we got to cherish every moment that we have together. Cause you know, you, you don't know, man, that's really, that's really the long and short of it. Yeah, man. And I'll cherish the moments that you and I have together doing this. Yes. And we'll cherish the moments that we have together 
with Judas Priest in March when we finally get to see this show. And it's going to be 100% worth the wait. I couldn't agree more, man. That was beautifully well said. One more thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Have you ever heard the Arch Enemy cover? No, I haven't. I had no idea they did a cover. So just go okay. listen to it right now. All right, hold on. Let me I'm I'm going on to um YouTube quickly. Ye old tube of you. <laughs> now, was this the Angela Gossow era or is this newer? Before. This is when they had a male vocalist. Oh my god. I, wow, we're going way back. Hold on. All right, I'm going to take a listen real quick. Oh man. I love I love a good priest cover. I love me some good death metal. Wow, that is filthy. Holy crap. I do appreciate. Yeah, dude. I do appreciate also when bands do a cover, put their own twist on it, and sort of what what am I trying to say? I want to say, well, they make it their own, you know, because if you want to hear, if you want to hear someone play the song originally, just as is, you can just listen to the album. Yeah, a, co- a good cover has to do two things. It has to sound like the band that is doing the cover, and it also has to capture the essence of the original. Yes. So that it's- Arch Enemy cover, that's pretty damn good. I think I could recommend that. Oh, for sure, man. Absolutely. I I always love a good cover, especially when it's done differently than the original while still maintaining the same energy. Yeah. Covers have value because it's a time-honored tradition in music for songs to be mutable and given these different reinterpretations from different musicians who put their own spin on it. Mm. And it's only sort of in the 20th and 21st century with copyright law and IP that bands have become way more protective of their own songs. Not saying that's a bad thing. People mm. definitely deserve to earn money on their art. Yeah. But even so, it's uh, it's nice when these songs are being paid tribute to by someone uh, trying to put it in their own spin. Mm. Because there's that old saying, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Oh. Arch Enemy could have covered any song. They covered Starbreaker because they like it. I mean, it's a fantastic song, and it's a very loving tribute. Honestly, you know, I got to cover when my one of the bands I was in. I got to cover a dissection song live, and that was probably one of the best experiences of my entire life. You know, 
that was that was actually like a dream come true for me was getting to perform one of their songs live that's interesting Mm -hmm. because i know how much you love that song storm of white spain let's be honest that could be the best black metal album of all time oh for my money it is and so it's sort of interesting uh hearing you that say that as a musician playing someone else's song was like almost as much fun as playing your own songs yeah man i mean there was something that was very fulfilling about doing it without going on too much of a tangent you know getting to bring that song to an audience because obviously dissection is not around anymore. I just was very, very excited. And I felt really good after we played it. I mean, for a lack of a more complicated explanation, it just, it, it, it was a very fulfilling experience for me. That explanation was perfect as it was. Thank you. Well, I think we had a really good discussion on Starbreaker, man. Dude, same. This was great. And, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, we're doing a different format just to give our listeners a little bit of an update. I just started working a new job recently, and my schedule is such right now that I'm working six days a week. And overtime yeah. plus more overtime. Exactly. So it's I love it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not. And, you know, the whole six days a week thing is temporary. But for now, it doesn't leave a ton of room in my life for socializing. So we're doing this over a Zoom call. And I don't know what it is about the Zoom call, but I feel like our ideas are flowing very well. And the conversation is extremely organic. And um, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, I like doing it in person. But I think uh, today yeah, we're just super excited to get into a recording because it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, and that was another thing, too. It's like, I'm just really excited to be doing this again, because I missed this. And I love doing this podcast with you. Yeah, and we love doing it for you, yeah. the listeners. And we love meeting people on Twitter and talking. And really, that's been one of the best parts. Yeah. So listen, dear audience, if you haven't heard Starbreaker, I highly recommend you go give it a listen right now. And if you find Starbreaker compelling, you'll probably love the rest of Sin After Sin. It is a fabulous album that you could definitely stand to give a good listen to. Sin After Sin's got something for everyone. Mm. got the heavy. It's got the ballad. It's got the groove it's got just a little bit of something for every listener but if you haven't heard any songs from sin after sin starbreaker might be a good one to check out first you could even check out the unleashed in the east version if you want something that is a little faster if you're driven towards the more speedy thrashy priest songs you can't go wrong, though. No matter what version you listen to, you you cannot go wrong listening to this song. You've given this a nice recommendation, Tom. I think that's a great note to close it out. Couldn't agree more, George. So, dear listeners, until next time, stay locked in. And keep defending the faith. <laughs>